That's my, my son. I have three other kids, eight grandkids. So now you know me. And anyway, I'm just happy to be here tonight. I'm, I'm really excited about this message. We're going to keep right along line, in line with um, 1 Thessalonians. Josh asked me to just continue on with that, um, with that teaching in that book. So we're going to be on 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, starting in verse 13 tonight. Let me set the context a little bit. I know you guys probably, Josh has been giving good context, um, telling you a lot about the church in, in Thessalonians. Thessalonica and what was going on there, but I thought I'd just do a quick recap. So Paul, the Apostle Paul, visited Thessalonica and started a church there on his second missionary journey, right? Now, I don't know if you've ever tracked with the Apostle Paul and his buddies on one of their missionary journeys, but it was probably a little different than what's happening with Josh over in Estonia. Um, It was pretty violent, actually. So Paul was, he ends up in Thessalonica Thessalonica, right after he was in Philippi, before that he was in Lystra, before that he was in a town called Derby, and there was a pattern developing whenever Paul would visit a town. I mean, he's just out preaching the gospel. He's trying to tell people about Jesus, right? And he would go there, he would find a synagogue, a local synagogue where the Jewish people were worshiping, because he figured that's the best place to start, right? Because the Jews knew that there was a Savior coming. The Jews knew they were looking for a Messiah, so why not start there? And that's what he would do. He would go into the synagogues for the most part, and he would reason with the Jews using the Old Testament to prove that Jesus was the Messiah. And two things would inevitably happen every single time. People would respond one of two ways. They would either go, that's amazing. I want to know this Jesus. Or they would try to kill him. Just, you know, not not much in between. Either two polar opposite reactions. The town would get into an uproar almost every single time. You could like set your watch to it, right? Paul would present the gospel. Some people would believe. Other people would have these crazy reactions. Uh, Sometimes they brought town governments involved. Sometimes they stoned him. Sometimes they just beat him. Um, After he was done in in Thessalonica, he had to sneak out at night in the middle of the night because the whole town was in an uproar. Anyway, how would you like to go on a mission trip like that? Or who would sign up for a mission trip like that? What if Paul came to your church and said, hey, I'm going to go on my fourth missionary journey now. But let's say you knew that's what it was going to be. You knew that if you tracked with this guy and you went to a place and you preached the gospel, the true gospel, that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, and you preached that gospel and there was a very good chance someone was going to try to kill you, it would be... I I would say, I would admit it would be tough for me to sign up for that mission trip. It's difficult sometimes when we're pressed up against the wall, like what would we do? But these stories are here to, to not just like threaten us or anything, but to encourage us. So this particular story, this, this story about Paul's planting a church in Thessalonica is an amazing story. I mean, he was only there for like a couple of weeks, maybe a month think it wasn't, it wasn't a long time. I may, get, I may have gotten the days a little bit wrong there, but it wasn't very long. He didn't have a very long time with these people, but he fell in love with these people. Let me tell you a little bit about this town um, in Thessalonica. There were Jews there, obviously, because there was a synagogue. A lot of Greeks there, a lot of Romans there. It was a, it was a port city, like a really important city, like on a bay where ships would come through, so there's sailors coming through, and 
merchants coming through and just people passing through. And it was just, it would be the equivalent of like a Chicago or a New York. I mean, it was a pretty big deal. It was a pretty important city, a real strategic city. So a lot of people came through there. That's probably one reason why Paul thought, hey, this would be a good place to preach the gospel. We'll plant a church here and all these sailors and everybody coming through, they'd take the gospel to all the corners of the earth. So logically, that's what they had in mind. So there's all these people milling around in this town and Paul starts presenting the gospel in the, in the synagogues and some people believed. You can read about it in Acts chapter 17. But as was the usual case, the Jews got jealous. Why? Jesus was getting all the attention. What Paul was preaching was attracting these big crowds and in their pride and in their arrogance and in their self-righteousness, they didn't like competition. So these guys, whatever Jews were in town, would stir up the crowd, they would stir up the town, they would call the government officials in and Paul would get in big trouble and he'd be like, fine. And he'd just go on to the next town and do the exact same thing. But in this particular town, as Josh talked about last week, you could tell that Paul had a deep affection for these people in Thessalonica. He, he used references like, we were a mother to you. Like a mother is to a nursing child. That's how much we cared about you. That's how much we, we were there for you. Like a father with his children. That's how much you meant to us. I mean, Paul, in a very short time, became very affectionate and very connected and very just loved these people. He didn't want to leave, but it got so bad, uh, his companion said, we got to go, man. They're going to take us out. We got to go. So one night they slipped away to Brian and did the same thing up there. So he, you know, his heart is breaking. He's gut-wrenching. He has to leave these young believers, right, in a hostile town. He knows it's bad. He knows they're going to probably lose their jobs. He knows some of them are probably going to lose their life, get beat up, family split apart. He knows the cost that was paid to follow Jesus. And he has to leave them. He wants to stay, right? He wants to stay and keep doing ministry. Other places he went, he got to stay for multiple years. He stayed in Ephesus for a really long time. And I'm sure he wanted to stay, but he couldn't. He got torn away. He even tried to get back, right? But he said earlier that Satan kept him. I mean, Satan's like, you're not going back there. I'm about to take these people out. I mean, we talk about spiritual warfare. So Paul has this deep affection for these people. He gets pulled away. He's got to go. It's not safe. God's calling him now. We're going to do this up in Brian. We've got to go. So he's going crazy, right, wanting to know, well, are they okay, right? What's going on down there? Did they bail on Jesus? Did they cave in? So he sends Timothy, right? You're going to hear about this next week. He sends Timothy because he can't stand the suspense, right? He needs to know, how are they doing in, in Thessalonica? So he sends Timothy down there, and, and Josh will touch on this next week, but Timothy comes back and says, they're awesome, they're solid, they're still together. And Palmerston went, oh my gosh, that's awesome. So that's why he wrote this letter. So now he writes this letter just telling them, guys, I was going nuts, right? I missed you so much. So this letter is super encouraging. He's trying to, he knows they're in trouble, 
He knows they're getting persecuted. He knows they're suffering for the cause of Christ. So he, he's trying to encourage them, stay together. Stay with Jesus. And so we've, we pick this story up in, in uh, chapter 2, verse 13. And Paul says this, and we also thank God constantly. So previously, he's just praising God and thanking God for, t- for keeping his friends safe or for making sure that the name of Jesus continues to go out. He's just overwhelmed with joy. He's just commending them. And then he says in verse 13, and we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. For you, brothers, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews, who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out and displeased God and opposed all mankind by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles that they might be saved. How would you like to to go down in history and that's what you did? You, You were known for getting in the way of people getting saved. I mean, how would you like that to be your label? And that's what these Jews were doing. They displeased God and oppose all mankind by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles that they might be saved, so as always to fill up the measure of their sins. But wrath has come upon them at last. So in, this, in the context of this passage, in this passage, we find a couple of things. Paul, first of all, continues to thank God. He's just thanking God, right? Who else is he going to thank? Because that's all they had. They didn't have the government on their side. They didn't have the military on their side. They didn't have any police helping them out. I mean, they were a church that was about a month and a half old. I mean, who else is he going to thank? The only reason that they made it as far as they did was because God was with them. And God was protecting him. So he continues to thank God, only this time, what's he thanking God for this time? This is so cool. And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. Paul thanked God constantly for the way they received the word. Right? Now remember what I said a few minutes ago, not everybody received the word that way. Right? Not everybody received the word with thanksgiving. Not everybody received the word and accepted it and obeyed it like they did. Sometimes people hear the word, they don't want to receive anything. They just want to push back, right? Maybe you've experienced that, sharing your faith. But isn't it an amazing experience on those occasions when you put the word of God out there and people receive it, and their eyes light up, and they're like, I've never heard that before in my life. And maybe they've heard it a million times, but that one time where the the light goes on, and you know what that light is, it's God. Nobody's going to receive the Word of God as what it is, the Word of God, without the help of God. And that's why Paul, and Barnabas, and Silas, and Timothy, and all these guys are just praying before they would ever go into a town like this. God, go before us. God, go before us. God, break down the walls of Satan. God, break down the spiritual walls. 
God, go before us. God, open their eyes. God, allow them to receive it. God, let them see your glory. That's the prayer going forth into an unreached city like Thessalonica. So Paul is so excited when he gets there and he preaches the gospel and he sees people are getting it. So he's praising God for that. He's not saying, hey, good job for believing. Nice job. You figured it out, right? You guys are really smart. Thanks for believing. You guys are smarter than I thought. He didn't do that. He was praising God because if God doesn't open your eyes, if God didn't open my eyes all those years ago, we would be as lost and wandering and wondering what is this all about just like they were. So he's praising God and thanking God that God opened their hearts and opened their minds to understand. And the text says they received Paul's message and they accepted Paul's message as what it was, the word of God, not the word of men. Because I'll tell you, I'd be willing to bet back then as there is now, there's a lot of human words that we hear on a regular basis. There's a lot of people talking or preaching or trying to communicate something to us. You can't walk outside your door. You can't even, I mean, you can't even wake up basically now that we can watch TV and we've got our smartphones and everything. There's a lot of people with a lot of messages who want to say a lot of things and want to convince you that this is true or that is true or listen to me, I know what I'm talking about. I mean, everywhere you Go is the word of men, the word of men, the word of men, the word of men. And I guarantee you these people in in Thessalonica, I keep wanting to say another word, they probably heard it all. They've got sailors coming through telling sailor stories. They've got all these people just passing through, you know, overnight stays. They probably heard it all. The last thing they needed was another message from a man, a human message. What a difference it must have been for them so they're wandering in the synagogue or wherever, wherever the other places Paul was preaching. And when they heard him, can you imagine? They were like, this, isn't, this is different. Do you remember where you were when you heard the gospel for the first time and you understood it and you accepted it? Do you remember that? I don't know if you, some of you maybe were, were smaller. I remember I was 31 years old. So I had a lot of messages from the earth, messages from the world, a lot of corruption, a lot of worldly stuff I was conformed to, a lot of idolatry, a lot of, a lot of bad stuff. And I remember hearing the God, and it wasn't that I hadn't heard it in some way, shape, or form, but I heard it in here, I don't know, 26, 27 years ago, and I, it was different because it was from God. Yeah, there was a guy speaking it, but it was life-changing. It was convicting. It was powerful. And so these people, when they heard Paul, they're like, this is different. There's something different about that guy. Isn't that what happened to Jesus when he would speak? The crowds would be amazed because he spoke like, no, well, he was God, right? That helped, but the crowds were like, this guy's different. And even when Peter and James or Peter and John, 
I mean, when they would go before the Sanhedrin or when they would go before the Pharisees and they would speak, the Pharisees were like, aren't these fishermen? Aren't these just normal guys? How are they getting this kind of power? And they would say, it's God, man. It's not me. It's God. So Paul was so excited and praising God that when he preached the gospel, that they received it as divine. Paul's not divine, but God was using Paul, and the Holy Spirit was using Paul to carry the message of the gospel to the Thessalonians, and they received it as it was the word of God. They welcomed the word. That, that word welcomed means that they not only heard it, but they received it and then welcomed it in their heart and in their soul and said, my life needs to change. And the text goes on to say that for you brothers became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. So their life changed. They became imitators of Paul and the other Christians that had heard the same gospel. Because you can hear the gospel, you can hear a sermon, you can hear a podcast, and nothing changes. But that's not what happened to them. They heard it, they received it, and then they welcomed it. And what that basically means is they were convicted to the point where their life changed. They made some radical changes. They knew Paul's words were sacred. They probably couldn't put their finger on how they knew. They probably weren't sure what the Holy Spirit was yet. I have said many, many times that something happened to me when, I, when God saved me way back in the day, and I've been trying to figure out what that was ever since. I, mean, I can't explain it completely. I can explain it theologically. Oh, yeah, I was justified by faith, you know, and oh, yeah, I was called by God. I can, I can explain it theologically, but experientially, I mean, I, I know I was there, right? I just know that I was doing this, and I was thinking this, and I was feeling this, and I was on this path, and I'm telling you, all of a sudden, I'm doing over here. And my family's like, what's up with him? And they all thought it was a phase, right? And they soon found out as year after year after year after year and change after change after change after change, my family soon figured out, wow, something happened to that guy (laughs) because he's not the same guy. That's the power of the Word of God. That's the power of the Holy Spirit. When you hear it, receive it, and welcome it to the point where you become an imitator of other believers with the power of the Holy Spirit. You become imitators of Jesus Christ. That becomes your desire. I want to be like Jesus. I want to walk with Jesus. I want to do what he's doing. I want to keep in step with him. And you, you have a new affection now. You have a love for God. Where was that before? I didn't have a love for God. It was a love for Matt. It was all things Matt. It was what I wanted every single time. I still wrestle with it. I'm not perfect by any stretch of the imagination. But what happened was it was like a shift And something new was introduced into my life. Well, you know what happened? I got a new heart. God gave me a new heart. God opened my eyes. He convicted me of my sin. He gave me the gift of the Holy Spirit. He illuminated 
his word in a way that I could understand it and respond to it. And I've never been the same. It's not like I could ever go back to that. But it has been a 25, 27, I forgot how many years. It has been a crazy journey. We'll talk more about that in a minute. Back to the Thessalonians. They, they knew that Paul's words were sacred. They knew that Paul's words were true. They knew that Paul's words were divine. They couldn't really explain it. They didn't have a Bible right, like we do. I mean, the Jews had the Old Testament, but the Greeks and the Romans, they didn't have a Bible like laying on their coffee table at, hey, I'm at, maybe I can go read that thing now. They didn't, well, they didn't have church like this. They had the Apostle Paul. That's all they had. And they had the Holy Spirit like doing a, a massive amount of, of incredible work in their heart. Paul says that God's word, not only did they receive it, not only did they welcome it, but God's word was at work within them. What is that about? How does God's word work? I mean, what what was God's word doing in them? Well, they became imitators of God's churches in Judea. Let me explain what that means. That's, that, is, that doesn't sound like much, but that is a big deal. Paul knew that God's word was at work in these people because they became imitators of him, of the Lord, and of the other Christians in the other churches. And in, and in their day, that meant they, they identified with suffering. Paul said, I know that God's working in, on you guys. I know that you've received God's word as what it is, the word of God, not the word of man, because it's working in you. Your life is changing. You're willing to suffer for Jesus. People don't just do that. They don't do that for words of men. Unless you put a gun to their head or threaten your family. Then you might get some behavior modification, right? You can force people to do some radical things But only God's word can change a person's heart, can change a person's affection, can change a person's direction. That's the power of the word of God. What do I mean by that? God's word was at work in the Thessalonians because they became imitators and they, they were willing to identify with all the other Christians in all the other areas that Paul had been, so much so that they were willing to suffer just like they were suffering. They were willing to do that. Why were they willing to do that? Because God gave them a new heart, and that new heart was inclined to love the Son. God gave them a heart that loves Him. We're not going to love God on our own. We're not. We don't have the capacity to love God on our own. We're sinners. We're enemies of God. If God doesn't move in your heart, if God doesn't move in my heart, if God doesn't give you and me a new heart that has affection for him and love for him and love for my brothers and sisters and even love for enemies, I'm going to be all about mad for the rest of my life. God is the one that changes us. And Paul could see God's working in them. How did he know? Because all of a sudden that they cared more about Jesus And they loved Jesus more than their stuff. They loved Jesus more than their jobs because they were probably going to lose their job. They loved Jesus more than even their own life because they were risking their own life to follow him. Their affection changed. You're not going to do that 
unless you got a new heart. That's how Paul could tell. These people are different. Okay, they don't want to, first of all, they don't want to kill me. That's a good sign, right? Second of all, they welcome the word. Third of all, they're, they're, they're changing. They're different people. It's amazing. When No wonder Paul was excited, right? And he's not just excited because, cool, now I don't have to suffer alone. He's excited because they're saved. He's excited because they love God. And he knows how important that is. Did you ever notice, I'm sure Josh has mentioned this already, but when you live in an environment like that that's that hostile toward Christians, you're thinking, next world, right? You're thinking, I hope, I, I hope God takes me like today because it stinks down here, right? They, they, had an, uh, they had a heaven view, didn't they? They had an attitude like, okay, this, this is bad now, <laughs> but I am now a member of the kingdom of God, right? God gave me a new heart. God gave me affections for him and affections for my brothers, sisters, and the Lord. And God promises that he's going to come back and get us. Jesus promises that he's going to come back and get us. He's going to make a new heaven and a new earth, and we're going to be with him forever. That's, that's the motivation for them to continue to keep going in the face of that kind of persecution. Right? They had to have that eternal mindset, and they did. Paul says that the God's word was at work in them because they were willing to suffer for Jesus. Their affection changed, but their direction changed as well. This passage ends with, it's pretty bad, actually. For you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews. He's talking about the Christians and the other churches that they're now identified with. Who, uh, as they did from the Jews who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out and displeases God and opposes all mankind by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles that they might be saved, so as always to fill up the measure of their sins, but wrath has kind of come upon them at last. Let me, let me ask you a question. I guarantee you there's a high probability that some of those Thessalonians that got saved may have been these kind of people. Because Jews were getting saved, Greeks were getting saved, and Romans were getting saved. Well, you know about the Romans. They're not the nicest bunch on the block, right? They invented some of the most vicious, cruel forms of capital punishment and execution you could imagine, including crucifixion. So they're a pretty scary bunch, right? But they're Jews in the crowd, committed to the law, of Moses. And they're reading this letter and they're like, oh man, that was me. I used to do that stuff. I used to persecute people. But they're not doing that anymore. Why? Because their affection changed and their direction changed. Paul, case in point, the Apostle Paul, you think the word of God didn't change his affection? Well, we know how much he loved Jesus, right? He said in Galatians chapter 2, the life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of Man who loved me and gave himself for me. That, that was his motivation for life. The life I live on earth, I live by faith in the Son of God who loves me and gave himself up for me. That was Paul's 
mantra. He loved Jesus. But did he always love Jesus? You guys know this? Paul killed more Christians than probably anyone else. I mean, he was on his way to persecute Christians when God got a hold of him. Yeah, when you, you hear the God and you receive it and you accept it and you welcome it and you get a new heart and your affection changes and the Holy Spirit comes and lives in you, not only your affection and heart changes, but your direction changes. Paul, the Apostle Paul, was a perfect example of that. Jesus got a hold of his heart and he's like, I can't do that anymore. We, we learn in, in, in Galatians that Soon after his conversion, the Apostle Paul took a couple of years um, and, and theologians think he spent that time alone in Arabia, like in the desert, probably in a cave, <laughs> right? That's how long it took him to repent of all the stuff he'd done. I don't know what was going on for those two years. Talks about it in Galatians too, but can you imagine the conviction? You're killing God's people. And God says, Paul, Paul, why are you... Why are you doing this? So when you hear the word of God and you hear it as what it is, the word of God, not the word of man, and you receive it and welcome it, and you get a new heart from God and your affection changes and your direction changes. Amen? There's a couple of things I want to bring up as I wrap this up. There's a couple application. Like what can we get from this? Because we live in 2019 in Brentwood, Antioch, and Oakley. Most of us aren't being persecuted like that. And it would be real easy. Actually, it wouldn't, but it would be cruel, actually, for me to say, now go be like the Thessalonians. Suffer for Jesus, right? But I'm not going to do that tonight. What I am going to do is cover a couple of application points, and I want you to think for you personally, how, is, how can I apply this to my life? Okay? We exegeted that passage together, line by line. We understood what Paul was trying to say to the people that he wrote the letter to. Now, my job and your job, our job together is to try to ask ourselves, how can I apply that to my life? Or, you know, what can I get from that and apply it to my life? Right? And, and you've probably heard messages. Here's the six points to being like suffering like the Thessalonians. I'm not going to do that. And I'll tell you why. Because life change doesn't start with behavior modification doesn't start with six steps to doing anything. It starts with the heart. And I want to talk about that for a minute. The first thing that we can glean from this text that could be applied to our life is this truth, that the Bible is God's Word, not man's Word. Amen? We have God's Word, right? We have it more than they did. We have the same Holy Spirit they did, but we have God's Word they didn't even have God's Word. They had the Old Testament. But we have God's Word available to us. And you may say, well, how do I know it's God's Word? It was written by men. Okay. Right? Well, let's go over that real quick, right? Yes, God called the biblical authors 
and revealed to them his will, then he inspired them to write down what he revealed to them. And then for us, he illuminates us so that we can understand it. Listen to this and uh, let me read this for you. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. All scripture is breathed out by God, okay? It's from God. The Bible is the word of God. It's God's word, not man's word. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. Listen to what Peter says about the word of God in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 19. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention to as a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. No prophecy of Scripture came from a man or a woman. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men, well then how did we get it? (laughs) How did we get it? But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. That's awesome, right? God wants us to know his will. God wants to speak to you. God wants to communicate to me. And I know that some of us are like, like, you know, I'm just going to pray and um, wait for a peace, and then when I get a peace about it, I'm going to then go to... You take the word of God out, and I wouldn't trust any feeling or anything that you can produce. Why? Because no prophecy of Scripture is produced by man's interpretation. We need the word of God. This church is committed to properly and accurately exegeting and presenting the word of God to the best of our ability by the power of the Holy Spirit. Why? Because without that... We, we have no borders. We have no direction. I want to know what God says, don't you? I don't want to know what some guy says that's the hot, hottest guy on podcast right now. What do I care about some preacher in some church that's not preaching from the Word of God? What do I care what he says? I want to know what God says. I don't trust man. And that's part of the stuff I still wrestle with. But if I know that a man of God is preaching and has done the work he needs to do to accurately interpret God's Word, I will listen. Amen? And I, and I would advise you to do the same. Scrutinize the preachers. Josh would tell you the same thing. Phil Ward would tell you the same thing. Hold them accountable for the Word of God. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. We have God's word. The Bible is God's word, not man's word. Point number two, the Bible is God's word about Jesus Christ. Did you know that? The Bible is not a self-help book. The Bible is not a life map for your life, a road map for your life. 
The Bible is about Jesus. The Bible, the central focus of the Bible is the person and work of Jesus Christ. It's his story. Okay? Yeah, we're in the story, but we're not the hero of the story. We're the reason that redeeming needed to happen. The, the only thing we're bringing to the party is the sin that needed to be forgiven, is the corruption that, needed, that God needed to do something about. That, that's our part in this story. We're not the hero of this story. Jesus Christ is the hero of this story. And the Bible is a story. It's a redemptive story. It's redemptive history. It's a, it's a history of thousands of years of how God redeems mankind. It's what the whole Old Testament points to after the fall of man. Over and over and over, book after book after book, story after story after story is another example of how God works to redeem, to rescue, and to save mankind. That's what the story is about. It's a redemptive story. So don't read it as, okay, I got to Open up the Bible today and find out what God wants me to do. Yeah, you're going to find some application. I'm giving you application, but that's not the primary point of the Bible. The primary point of the Bible is to focus and highlight and shine a light on Jesus Christ and to Him be the glory because He's the hero of this story. And that's the gospel, that through Jesus' life, He lived a perfect, in His life, He lived in perfect submission to the will of God, and he perfectly fulfilled his righteous standard, also known as the law. He perfectly fulfilled the law. He never sinned once in his life. That was Jesus' life, spotless and sinless, which then qualified him to be offered as a sacrifice for me and you. So in his life, he perfectly obeyed the law. In his death, he quenches God's wrath against sin, satisfying the sovereign demand for justice. That's what Jesus accomplished in his death. Satisfied God's wrath. You know what we got saved from? God. (laughs) We got saved from the wrath of God. Because that's what we were born into. That's what we were born, that was the path we were on. Under God's wrath because of our sin. So Jesus led and lived a perfect sinless life so that he could die to atone for our sin and to be a a sacrifice acceptable to God to appease God's wrath. He took God's wrath upon himself and in his resurrection, He is victorious over sin and death. Amen? I want to follow Jesus, don't you? I mean, that's the Word of God. That's life-changing right there. Amen? The question I want to leave us with tonight is, how do you respond to that? I mean, it's tempting to read the, the story of the Thessalonians and be like, man, I'm nothing like that. I can't even share my faith in class at LMC. I mean, (laughs) these people are dying, right? And I get all nervous in the lunchroom. And it'd be very easy to start beating yourself up and, and just doing that kind of thing on yourself. And I I just want to point something out in this text 
these Thessalonians didn't just wake up, day, wake up one day and all of a sudden they had this amazing affection for God and they were imitating. It didn't happen quite like that. I mean, if you go back to the chapter before this or the, the passages before this, Paul said, hey, man, we were like a mother and a father to you guys. And included in that, Paul said, I was like a father to you, exhorting you, encouraging you, and challenging you. The Thessalonians were bumping into the same stuff we're bumping into, right? Sanctification, which is that process that every single Christian enters into once we get saved. It's that big word, sanctification. You know what that means? It's the process that the Holy Spirit is actively working in every one of us to conform us to be like Jesus. God, you know what he's up to in your life? Sanctification. He's making you more like Jesus. And I just want to say this again, not through just behavior modification. Making you more like Jesus isn't about go act like Jesus did. That is a horrible way to live a Christian life. It is. Sanctification starts deep in the heart because you and I still have affections for the world. You and I still are being torn and pulled into directions that we've been tempted with. We have evil desires. Listen to what James says in James chapter 4. He's talking to Christians, all right? He's talking to Christians. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? That's the description of a Christian. That's sanctification, war. Who's fighting? The spirit is at war with the flesh, with my flesh, with my worldly desires, with everything I brought into my relationship with God, just like you do. Don't be surprised if your knees start knocking and and you you don't want to share your faith. Don't be surprised if you slip back into old habits or if those evil desires, they're strong, aren't they? Pulling at us. And throw into the mix that we got an enemy who hates our guts now that we're Christians. He's just going to keep flaunting it in your face. Don't be surprised that you're in a battle. I'm in the same battle. and I'm, Because I'm the recovery pastor, I see a lot of the, the really nasty, brutal, bloody, some of the outcomes of really hard lives. And they want to get out of that so bad. And they accept God and they want it to go away. They want these desires to go away. Pastor Matt, why do I still want to drink? Pastor Matt, why do I still want to look at pornography? Why do I still want to do that? You're at war, man. Don't be surprised. Yeah, you got a new heart. Yeah, you love Jesus. Amen, so do I. But don't be surprised. So what do you do? First of all, I'd lo- I love having people like the Apostle Paul in my life who will encourage me and, and challenge me and love me like a father, like a father I never had. I don't know what your relationship with your father is, but the father that he's talking about and 
this passage is probably not like the one we're used to. Maybe you have a great father, but our Father in heaven is the ultimate father who says, come to me anytime you want. You can come into the throne room anytime you want to. I don't care what you've done. I've been at this a long time, and I'm telling you, I am still fighting the battle. And what I do when I fail, what I, and what I do before I fail is I go to God. I don't run from God. I go to God because the Bible tells us in 1 John that if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I want to be clean. That's, that's how I feel when I sin, unclean, unrighteous, impure. And for the longest time, I didn't want to go to God. I was ashamed to go to God because I had this mindset like, oh, why go to God? I'm just going to do it again, right? I, I hate doing that. But I now know. First of all, God's not, oh, you did that? I missed that. He's there. <laughs> he knows everything, right? Go to God and confess. And don't just confess your behavior. Oh, I watched this. Oh, I said that. Oh, I gossiped. Oh, I confess your heart, man. Confess your heart. God, I am confessing to you that there are things in this world that I love more than you right now. God, I'm confessing to you that I I need attention and affection from people way more than I need attention and affection from you, and I hate that, but it's true. Confess your heart. Offer him your heart. Open up your heart. Be honest with God, your heart. Amen. Let's pray. God, thank you for this. Thank you for this word. Thank you for the gospel. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for redemption. Thank you for confession. Thank you that even though we are not perfect, that we have perfection within us. Thank you that you're not looking for our righteousness to justify us, but you're looking to Christ's righteousness to justify us, and he's so righteous. God, help us to leave here tonight, be honest with you, to be open with you about our hearts, about our affections, about our attitudes, as well as our behavior. And may your word be welcomed and received into our heart to the point where it would change our attitude, our affection, and our direction. Thank you, God, for who you are. Thank you for your story. Thank you for your redemption. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, guys. God bless you.